First, another intriguing gentleman, Piers Cunningham, who of course was the stalwart of the lockdown radio series last year when we were coping and trying to cope with COVID-19. Um, Piers, of course, very busy on the air yesterday for us here with his edition of uh, Peninsula Talks, Tuesdays, of course, between 11 and 2. But I've invited Piers Cunningham back because in the last 24 hours or so, come across some more developments in the world of COVID-19. Firstly, of course, we see the British mutation of COVID-19. Then we see the South African. And now something more virulent and perhaps more deadly and much more alarming seems to be emerging in India and across the subcontinent. Piers Cunningham, our resident COVID expert, is on the line to tell us more. Piers, thank you very much indeed. A busy week for you. We appreciate uh, you spending some time with us, Piers. No worries, Brendan. Yeah, you're right about it uh, being a, a really awful situation in India. 366 new cases yesterday, 22 million confirmed cases in the country, 200, approaching 250,000 dead. And... Uh, only a hundred, well, only this is still a large number, 160 plus million uh, vaccine doses have been administered in India. That's out of a population in, ex in excess, well, in excess of a billion. But what is really alarming at the moment is this, this fungal infection that is affecting some people who have had COVID. So they've got a, a reduced immune system anyway, because COVID has, has caused that or you know, their, their body is battling COVID and it's making them more susceptible to this fungus infection. It's called mucormycosis. The fungus is actually just found in the soil. It's naturally occurring and apparently it's kind of nature's way of breaking things down. So, you know, if, if there's plant matter or something that's, you know, accumulating in a, in a tip, for example, then this fungus actually serves, a, a, you know, a useful purpose to break it down. But unfortunately, it can affect people who've got either comorbidities, so a weakened um, you know, health system anyway or immune system anyway, but also particularly with COVID running wild in the subcontinent, as you mentioned, that makes people even, even more vulnerable to this really nasty infection, uh, this, this fungal infection. It's in India anyway, because India is 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 a quite a warm and humid environment, and that's where this fungus seems to thrive. Apparently, it's seventy times higher incidence or prevalence in India than in the rest of the world. People presenting with it, um, you know, they're getting this awful fungus in their faces quite often, and they're having to have things like, um, you know, their upper jaws removed. So, so, you know, very disfiguring operations, and there's already apparently a lot of trauma among the population, particularly people who've, who've suffered through COVID and are trying to recover from it. Uh, and then for some of them to be fearful of this really nasty fungal infection, you know, it's just a, a horrible situation. And then you've got to, you know, you've got to deal with uh, possible disfigurement and then you've got to somehow get a prosthetic jaw. It's incredible, um, isn't it? Mucormycosis, mm, they're calling it, as you say, they're calling it the black fungus, Piers. And I mean, it, it, its mortality rate is just outrageous, 50% mortality yeah. rate. And as you say, it seems to be attacking sinuses, lungs and brains. I mean, for yeah. goodness sakes, this is... You know, zombie apocalypse going crazy. Yeah, look, it's I mean, it's a really very, very a terrible, awful situation for people in India who are dealing with a really tough situation just with COVID to have this as well. Apparently, some of you know some of the symptoms of this are sinusitis, uh, local pain at the cheekbone, 
uh, one-sided facial pain, numbness or swelling, a blackish discoloration over the bridge of the nose and the palate, loosening of teeth, uh, blurred or double vision with pain, thrombosis, necrosis, skin lesions, Good. chest pain. It's really, I mean, you, you've got to feel very, very sorry for, for what India is going through at the moment. Well, um, yeah. Mm. Actually, just doing a little bit of reading in, knowing that you're going to come on board, I mean, the you know, the, the fact is that it's very, very rare in our parts of the world, like Britain or Europe, you know, two or perhaps ten cases per million people per year in India. Yep. It's much more like seventeen per million. So, I mean, but know, still the, a rare. That makes it a rare disease in normal circumstances. But because you've got these people who, who've got you know their immuno um, weakened because of COVID, uh, that's what's making it much more prevalent. And you know you can get it just by walking through a dusty building site. Goodness. And they're actually recommending to people that they wear, you know, they cover up if they're sort of in those kind of environments where these where this fungus is known to exist in the wild. Wow. Absolutely incredible. As if COVID-19 wasn't bad enough and as if the statistics coming out of India are not bad enough, then to have this black fungus as well compounding uh, the suffering over there, just absolutely outrageous. The good news, I suppose, Piers, if, uh, before we let you go, uh, is, is the, the stats coming out of the UK. It looks like Boris Johnson and his government well and truly on top of things there and they're going to be easing up in the next couple of weeks as well. So out of all this darkness, some good news at least over there in the UK. Yeah, and I guess that's you know the, the conclusion that a lot of people are, are making is that that's because they've rolled out. They've been, you know, I think they've got the most, the fastest uh, and most widespread rollout of vaccines uh, of any country in the world. I think it is in in the UK as a percentage of the population. So we seem to be seeing the uh, you know the dividends of that. And I guess people, if they're weighing up whether they should uh, get the jab in Australia, then then look at what's happening in the UK. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Piers, thank you so much indeed for your input into Peninsula Talks today. Truly appreciate it. A lot of hard work by you. Thank you so much, Piers. You'll be back on the air next uh, Tuesday. Indeed I will, from 11am. Thank you. Piers Cunningham right here on RWPFM. This is Peninsula Talks all the way through until 2 today. You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au. Let's update everyone on COVID-19. We're in lockdown number four, of course. Down here, everybody in a little bit of a funk as we try and realise what is going on and try and assist the best we can with trying to get ourselves out of this uh, despicable situation. Our COVID-19 reporter is Piers Cunningham. He was on the air for three hours yesterday speaking to some of the big brains on the whole notion of infectious diseases. Luckily, he can join us again today. Hello, Piers. Welcome to RWPFM's Peninsula Talks. This is the Wednesday edition. Morning, Brendan. Cool, Piers. So what's going on? What do we need to know? It looks like, uh, well, uh, if I was a betting man, I reckon that this, ex- this lockdown is going to be extended for a little while. Yeah, I think that's right. It's it's likely to be extended by a week minimum. Uh, and they, they there are all sorts of rumours swirling around. I'm sure listeners have, have picked up on them on social media in particular uh, as to exactly what the terms and extent of uh, a, a continued lockdown will be beyond midnight on Thursday when it was initially scheduled to end. But my guess is it'll be a week extension and then they will not rule out extending another week beyond that. I mean, if they're aiming for zero cases uh, and, a, and a run of zero cases, then we could be in lockdown for quite a while if they followed the model of last year. There are reasons to think that perhaps they won't. 
Um, our Premier has not been heard from, but our acting Premier may take a different approach, maybe less hard line than last year. Interesting, isn't it, on the subject of Dan Andrews? I mean, here's a guy who for 120 days was front and centre as far as updates on COVID-19 was concerned. I was going to ask your opinion. I, I would have expected at least some sort of an appearance from him, from, you know, his casualty ward or wherever he is, intensive care or something, just saying, you know, hang in, guys. We're all doing this together. I'm pretty crook at the moment. We'll be back as soon as I can. Don't want to undermine what's going on at the moment. But, you know, chin up and, you know, let's do this together, but we haven't seen him. Yeah, that's right. Not a word, not a peep since he had that nasty fall and uh, injured his back really quite badly back in March at a at a uh, social gathering, I believe, at a holiday house on the Mornington Peninsula. And there are all sorts of different rumours and quite funny jokes circulating on social media about what actually went down and, and, and what really might have happened. But the thing I suppose that, that sort of fuels that a little bit, yeah, the rumour mill, is that there has literally been no word at all. And normally if you've got a Premier as high profile and as in the media spotlight as Dan Andrews has been, there would have been some kind of, hey guys, thanks for your support, I'm here um, and, and working on recovery as, as best I can. But but not, literally not a peak, which is unusual. It is very, very unusual. Okay, so what's going on at the moment, Piers? We seem to have also a bit of a rivalry happening between the states and the feds, both of them trying to point the finger. Uh, I noticed that uh, Jane Holton, who's in charge of uh, quarantine for the feds, pointing the finger the other day, or yesterday at least, uh, suggesting that uh, the states weren't uh, upholding best possible practice seems that this uh, point of finger pointing is continuing yeah i mean i think that's that's an interesting point that's been made there because even though the hotels that are being used are not they were never designed to be quarantine hotel and this is to do with the way that we know transmission has happened uh, people who've been unlucky enough in fact apparently the, the, the outbreak that's happened in victoria all have been genomically linked back to the leakage within a quarantine hotel in Adelaide. So one person seeding the whole of Victoria and uh, all of the exposure sites and all the cases that we're seeing uh, in our state now, which have caused this lockdown. Uh, and yet, so, so, you know, hotels that have been used for quarantine were never designed to do that, and some are better than others in terms of the way the ventilation system works. Uh, if you have negative pressure in a, in a room and you open the door, then you can cause a vacuum effect and, and your the air you've been breathing, which we know can, can uh, transport the disease, and in particular this, uh, this Indian or Delta variant, uh, which is more contagious, not necessarily more deadly, but certainly it seems more contagious. And they're now talking about even fleeting contact between strangers being possible to cause this. So hotels can be a problem, but uh, unless we were to embark on a very quick and um, extensive building program to, to copy the likes of Howard Springs up in the Northern Territory near Darwin, um, which is a kind of more of a purpose-built facility. It's been, it's had a, a big expansion done in recent times. It just can't cope with the numbers. So we're stuck with using hotel quarantine. And that's where the states are saying, well, we wouldn't have this leakage problem if we had better facilities provided by the feds. But it has to be acknowledged that New South Wales uses hotels just as Victoria and other states do. And New South Wales has handled a lot more numbers, I think at least double the arrivals uh, from overseas during the whole pandemic, and yet they've had nothing like these uh, lockdowns and case numbers that Victoria has. So then it goes back to that, that accusation of, you know, are 
be using best practice. And there have been questions raised in the code inquiry. There are actually now calls for a Royal Commission into looking at you know, Australia's response to the pandemic. And, and these sort of answers would be, uh, would be gained for the benefit of the whole country and going a lot further than the code inquiry did, which was really quite limited in its scope. It would be very interesting what that uh, Royal Commission, if it was convened, would be able to uncover. But certainly we here in Victoria seem to be stumbling around a little bit. And I guess our brothers and sisters to the north suggesting that they seem to have this um, under control a little bit better than we do down here in Victoria. I've even heard one possible explanation is the layout of the city. And secondly, also the slightly colder weather might be conducive to the spread of this more virulent form of uh, COVID-19. Why, why not in other... St- I mean, every state gets cold. Tasmania gets cold. Uh, it's it certainly... Look, winter is a time that we, we, we should expect this uh, virus to be rearing its head again. It's, it's, uh, viruses do best in winter. That's why we have, you know, winter flu shots. Um, but, I mean, one good thing is that people are getting a lot more inoculation going on. But, you know, looking at the case numbers just very quickly, um, over the course of the pandemic, Victoria's had over 20,000 cases New South Wales, which, as I mentioned, has dealt with at least double the number of arrivals from overseas, 5,500, roughly, uh, cases in New South Wales, compared with so four times the number in Victoria. You do have to scratch your head and say, look, I can't put that just down to to it being a colder climate. No, it's, uh, yeah, I think there's a few uh, questions to be asked about that and be very interested to hear what those answers are. Um, interesting that you're referring to this uh, new Indian strain as the Delta virus. Um, Pierce, you obviously upholding the new WHO directive, the World Health Organization. Yeah. Concern, yeah, the, the, concerned the about the... government no- decided that it was um, a little bit, uh, you know, not, not good for their reputation, a little bit... Um, unfair to India to refer to it that way, so they're going for a, uh, a more sort of systematic way of, of um, identifying the different variants. Um, but uh, it is certainly, by the sound of things, more contagious, and you just have to look at the numbers for India. I mean, you know, huge numbers. It seems that maybe it's uh, tapered off a little bit there in recent times, but, you know, 300,000 cases a day or more, uh, thousands of people dying, and, and hospitals completely overrun in big uh, big city centres over in India. So it's it's a major problem. And if you can get it by just a fleeting um, contact, you know, walking past someone in a in a building, inside a building, well, that's a very different situation with what to what was being uh, dealt with a year ago. Absolutely. And just to sort of finish off that uh, line of thought as well, so the Indian variant now called Delta, the South African is Beta, the Brazilian is known as Gamma. What does that right. leave? A for Alpha for uh, the Wuhan vi- virus, I guess. The China virus, as uh, Mr Trump used to refer to it as uh, pretty continually. Yeah, I guess so. So, look, I think that uh, people need to keep their eyes, you know, that remember that that's the fifth reason you're allowed to leave your house at the moment in lockdown in, in Victoria, statewide, is to actually go and get the vaccination. So if you've got a bit of time on your hand and uh, you are able to, and if there's a, there's a, if it's, if there's a slot, I'm sure that a lot of the, uh, the vaccination centres are very busy at the moment because suddenly we've been woken up out of this complacency. You know, there, was, there wasn't much virus in the country. People are looking around going, oh, I don't like these reports of blood clots and so on, so I'll just kick that can further down the road and hold off getting vaccinated. Now, suddenly, with the outbreak in Victoria, there's actually more people vaccinated in New South Wales than Victoria, even though they've had a quarter of the cases in the community. Slightly bigger population there, but they can see what's going on. and Perhaps less complacency there. I was up there just after Easter, and I noticed the 
the app that people use is all centralised, one app for every QR code, and every place you went, you did scan in. It was right front and centre of the entrance, almost blocking your way, and often a member of staff saying, you need to you need to scan with your phone, or have you scanned with your phone? Whereas in Victoria, we only up until you know the last week or something, we had a centralised system. And my experience over summer was a lot of places weren't too uh, concerned about making sure that you did scan in with your QR code, which then makes it harder to do the contact tracing, and that results in the over 350, 351 exposure sites that we have now in Victoria. Six new cases today, in case you're wondering. And keep an eye on that DHHS, uh, the Health Department website, uh, dhhs.vic.gov.au. At midday, they update that with the latest figures. Um, so that's when you'll find out the testing numbers and other detailed information about what's happened in the last 24 hours. And the, and the pronouncements going forward as well, this lockdown. It was interesting, actually, that QR code uh, scanning system. There was a, a, an elderly person in the cohort of vulnerability the other day attempting to scan as uh, they went into a premises, uh, had to give up, just couldn't work it out, and shrugged their shoulders and took off. And a prime <clears> example of somebody maybe who could have been infectious slipping through the system. And obviously that... Uh, test and trace system here in Victoria probably needs a little bit more work, I would well, suggest. Yeah, if you've got one unified system, which most states have got now, certainly New South Wales, South Australia, I'm pretty sure Tasmania, they've all got unified systems, and Queensland, I believe. Uh, that means that when you put in your, you put your information, your name and your mobile in once, then every time you scan in again, that form is filled out. Yep. Whereas if you've got multiple QR systems, which then make it more of a headache to, to centralise the data for the uh, contact tracers, uh, you have to fill that out many times, and that can be frustrating, particularly for the elderly. Piers Cunningham, we love uh, the insights that you give us here at Underwater PFM. It's Peninsula Talks, our Wednesday edition, speaking to our COVID-19 expert, Piers Cunningham. Before I let you go, Piers, another little morsel that I found in the international papers overnight. China confirming its first human case of a new strain of bird flu. Gosh. Yes. Could you just imagine that if we have now a new sort of SARS suddenly emerge in uh, Asia and uh, it compounds the COVID-19? I will leave you with that optimism.